Ladies and gentlemen, what is up? Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. This episode is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. Uh, promises. Who is promises? You hear me say that often if you listen to the show. What are these promises guys all about? Number one, I can tell you they're awesome. Number two, they're a family of mental health and addiction treatment centers based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and they're ready to help you or your loved ones stay committed and achieve your promise of recovery. Now, there's a lot of treatment centers. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of places you can reach out to for resources. Um, there's a lot of great ones out there as well. But how do you know who you can trust? How do you know who to reach out to? That's where Promises comes in. I've personally worked with some of the team at Promises. Uh, shout out to those guys out there. They're great people. They care. Many of them have family and friends that are in recovery themselves. So they get it. They have highly, this is just as important, if not more important too. They have highly trained staff members throughout a variety of treatment centers. So if you want to learn more about Promises treatment options, where their facilities are located, is there one near you? Man, maybe you just want to reach out and you have a couple questions about your own recovery, your own, uh, your own habits, uh, or maybe that of a loved one. Here's what you can do. You can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. That's promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. Or you can just call 888 888- 205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. And tell them that you heard about them from That Sober Guy Podcast. All right, one more quick announcement, and then we're going to get to our guest today, who I'm very excited to have back on the show. Now, do you like San Diego? It's kind of a dumb question, right? Do you like Coronado? Who doesn't like those spots? Do you like recovery? Are you in the recovery field, or maybe you want to be? Uh, I have a great educational and networking event coming up that I'm pumped to be a part of this year. And I want to tell you about it. And uh, it's hosting a leadership track with former NFL all pro motivational speaker, Al Smith, as well as doing some more live podcasts, April 6th through the 9th in San Diego at hotel Del Coronado for the innovations and recovery conference. Uh, that's hosted by foundations recovery network. Uh, this year's conference theme will explore the continuum of care to help gain insight and provide an opportunity to walk through a full continuum of care from a patient's point of view. Uh, guest speakers, there's going to be plenty of guest speakers, all kinds of different people inside uh, the recovery field who are in recovery, professionals in the industry. Uh, also, Lamar Odom will be there, Eddie George, Al Smith, Randy Grimes, got some NFL alumni coming out. So a big shout out to Glenn and the team over there at Foundations for the invite this year. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week that this is my fifth year attending this event and podcasting. So it's always a great time to connect with good people and, uh, and be a part of a good, uh, good event with some great people. So for more information, if you want to uh, attend the conference, you just want to check it out, see what it's all about. You can go to foundationsrecoverynetwork.com slash conferences and you can get some more information there. All right, let's get this show on the road. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. Uh, you can check us out at thatsoberguy.com, and you can connect with us on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, and on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. Man, I'm excited to uh, to have our guest on today. He's a friend of mine. He's been on the show before. We'll put the links to the first uh, show that he was in back in the 100s, I think, somewhere. I'll have to get that exact number, uh, but be sure to go and check that one out. Um, one fateful summer night, Joseph Niles, a young, a young L.A. lawyer, went out to have a couple of drinks, and uh, he woke the next morning handcuffed to a hospital bed, and he was charged with attempted murder, and then it got worse. 
Uh, so we're going to elaborate a little bit on that. We'll recap some of Joseph's story, and then we'll get into his new book. We got a couple of books to give away too. I think we're going to give away three books, so we'll give you a little info on how you can get one of those books uh, of his first book, Straight Pepper Diet. Uh, Joseph, what's up, my friend? How are you? Hey, Shane. Good to, <laughs> good to see you. Good to watch you uh, do your thing, man. You're yeah. a pro. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. It's uh Man, how long have I been doing this now? Gosh, I forget sometimes. 2014, so we've done quite a few. I I, I feel like I've gotten better, you know, gotten better at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. man. Yeah, man, so it's great to uh, to get back in touch with you and connect. And, uh, and I just wanted to say real quick before we, before we get into uh, some of the story, the book, all this, we're going to talk about golf. I can't wait to talk about some golf, but there was, there was something that meant a lot to me, and I just wanted to thank you for it. Um, I did the show. Uh, out at the uh, at the improv in West Hollywood uh, last year, man, and you came out to that and, and showed support and you were there, dude. And that just really meant a lot to me having you there. And thank you for showing up and being a part of it, man. I, I, I it was just so crazy at that time, you know, and I know we got to chat a little bit, but I just wanted to, you know, officially tell you thank you again, man. It, it meant a lot. Oh, it's my pleasure. I brought a newcomer, a friend who was a newcomer to that, and I think he really no dug way. it. He was he was feeling pretty down. Really, and I think uh, that made him feel really good. So, dude, that's awesome. Like a, it was like the way sobriety works, right? Sort it is. I got something out of it. Everybody gets something out of it. It's good stuff. I gave a quick, uh, very brief explanation of straight pepper diet. Of a little bit about what you went through. Um, maybe we can start with you giving us a little recap of your story just to get those familiar with you and, and those who haven't heard your story from the first podcast we did. Okay. Uh, and thanks for having me on again. Um, so straight pepper diet, um, starts in 2003. I was an attorney. I had kind of pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I grew up in a very difficult childhood single mom welfare she was a drug addict and then after she got off drugs she became a shut-in depressive and we were really poor and I ended up going to law school and graduating passing the bar and then uh, becoming a pretty successful lawyer and I always was afraid of you know addiction because I saw the ravages that it caused my mom and other people in my life and just in poverty in general but one once I kind of felt safe, I, and that, and I was safe because I knew I was going to become a lawyer. Mm. I started drinking and it was pretty clear from the outset that I was a binge drinking alcoholic and just a general addict. Like I, I had a three headed thing going sex addiction, nicotine addiction, and alcohol. And if I wasn't doing those things, I was waiting to do those things. And I just, uh, throughout my life, it got worse and worse. And then when I was 32, I had had, well, before that, I had a DUI where I rolled my car off the side of the freeway. And uh, that was a pretty serious DUI, but I didn't stop drinking. I instead moved somewhere where I didn't have to drive and I could drink. <laughs> so, smart. so smart, great, Joseph. Great solution. <laughs> uh, and one night I uh, went into a blackout and I was a very athletic. I, I always refer to myself as an athletic uh, blackout drinker. Yeah, you're I tall. Huh? You're to, a tall dude too, right? How tall are you? Six four. Yeah, you're pretty tall. I I love to climb around and and uh, you know just there's stories in Straight Paper Diet about it. like I would do stuff like that and climb fences and things like that. And I took a boat out and stole a little um, 
canoe on the Venice canals in my business suit and dumped it and fell over and was bleeding, you know, this just stuff like that. But one night it wasn't really funny because I, I, I used to go to massage parlors, which was part of my sex addiction. And in a blackout at three in the morning, I crawled into, I went into, I not, I pounded on the door of a massage parlor and nobody answered. I went back around. Of course, nobody answered because nobody there at three in the morning, but I went in the blackout and I went through the window to go inside. And because of the configuration of the building, it was uh, attached to um, like these, like it was like part of a motel Mm -hmm. and the window that was next to the motel was a window of this dude, just some random dude. And I climbed in his window. And so that didn't go over so well. So um, he wakes up, we get in a fight, things happen. I won't give all the details away, but let's just say that that was a very, very, very bad day for me, which ended up with me, you know, the, I, I don't want to get, Straight Pepper Diet is a good read, even if you know what happened in the end. I'm here, yeah. so you know I'm, I'm, I'm sober and I'm alive, doing well. But in the end, uh, I ended up with the with consequences of the following: I was, I lost my law firm, I lost my bar license, I became a two strike felon, and I was coerced into pleading guilty to a, a sex crime, assault with intent to commit rape, because the DA's theory was that when I went into that massage parlor, what I thought was a massage parlor, that I was going there with the intent to commit a rape, even though it was a guy in there. You know, yeah, and so you know, I was looking at facing twenty years in prison if I lost a trial versus getting a plea deal where I had to plead these things, but I didn't have to spend a lot of time incarcerated. So I took the deal. <laughs> how 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 was that? How was that, man? How, having to contemplate because let's say you don't do that and then you go in to jail for twenty years, you're also going in as a sex offender at that, which is probably scary as shit in itself you know what i mean and then but then having to plea to that i mean gosh that's got to be tough i mean it was absolutely brutal you know i i fought that case for two years just praying and pleading and doing everything i possibly could i just be like look i will pay the price for my actions i put somebody at risk. I, I broke into some dude's house. I don't even know and scared the hell out of him. Luckily no one got hurt except for me physically. Yeah. I'm sure emotionally it didn't do him a whole lot of good, but he and his friend ended up beating my ass and good for them. You know, wasn't there a skateboard done, involved in that incident? A skateboard as well? and a bat. <laughs> oh damn. And uh, I had, had to get a bunch of uh, staples in my head yeah. to close up my scalp, but you know, no, okay, man. Yeah. That guy, deserved every whack of me he gave me right but you know the da just would not give in and i was like you know charge me whatever you want i actually preferred attempted murder that was the original (laughs) charge you know i wasn't attempted murder anything anybody but because of my background in in um, kickboxing i put this guy in a chokehold apparently and he told them about it and when the police investigated it the guy who was the investigating officer is the guy who teaches martial arts for the LAPD and sheriff's office Academy. So he was familiar with that chokehold. And so he, that's why they charged me with attempted murder. Wow. And 
so anyway, the bottom line to your question is, um, it was just a terrible choice, but you're right. You know, and it says a lot about the criminal justice system that one of the considerations I had to have wasn't that I would be put away for 20 years. It was that my life would be at risk in our penal society, which is the largest in the world. We have more people incarcerated in America than China does um, and Russia combined, I think. I think so. In any event. That's crazy. So, yeah. So uh, that happened. And um, all the while I got sober when I, when I got in, when I went into jail, I mean, when I got, I went to jail and then I went to prison for three months. And when I got out, there was a sentencing hearing where the judge decide was going to decide whether I got to leave where i served that sentence or I was going to have to go back in. Mm. And because so many sober people showed up for me at that hearing and packed the courtroom, the judge was so moved by that, that he, um, he let me go. I mean, I still was a registered sex offender. I just didn't have to do any more time. And I was yeah. looking at another two years. Wow inside two years inside two years inside prison which i barely survived the 90 or 111 days that i did so (laughs) so i wasn't i wasn't looking at that what what was that like if you don't mind sharing no i mean i go into it in the book and uh, ever diet that is but um you know the um la twin towers which is where i was kept is one of the gnarliest jails yeah in the country and uh, it was scary um, when you're in there on a sex crime. I mean, it's scary for anybody, but if you're in there on a sex crime, you're always at the mercy of a guard throwing, uh, putting you in the wrong cell where you could very likely could get shanked or beat up or whatever. Yeah. And I had a couple incidences where that was at issue. And I had a couple, I had to fight my way out of it a couple times. And um, so that was kind of like a chaotic kind of craziness. But when you go to Chino, which is the danger, the most statistically the most dangerous prison in America, because they had just had a guard that was the first guard that was killed in a long time, like the year prior going in. That's a little different. That's more of an organized kind of danger. It's much more organized. There's prison gangs and shankings or plan they're not like it's not like random yeah. fights that happen these are very organized, organized things yeah. so i survived that i did see a i mean i had someone shanked at the same table i was sitting at in the cafeteria a guy shanked and almost i don't know if they bled out and died or not but it looked like they did Damn. so that was not good that was a scary situation but i got out of it because of um i mean i i survived because of the program you know i spent a lot of time in there being the big book guy, you know, being the guy who didn't fuck around. And all I did was read the big book, meditate and pray. And I didn't play any jail games. Yeah. You know, any prison gangs, any of that type of stuff that gets you in trouble in there. Yeah. So uh, that's how I survived. So, so that's, you know, and and there's much more to the book folks out there listening to. And so, like I said, too, we're going to give a couple of the books away. Joseph has offered very kindly of him to, um, to ship out a couple of the straight pepper diet. And and I'll let you know how we're going to do that just towards the end of the episode. But so, so you write straight pepper diet. 
Um, and that basically tells the, 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 the story of how you got to where you got. Then you have people reaching out to you going, well, well, what happens next? I mean, man, we want to hear more. And now because of the consequences of those decisions of that night of everything that happened afterwards, now you're sitting in this new life and you have to, you have to live with this stuff and start to reintegrate and build your life back up. you you lost your, um, your, uh, uh, Bar license. Bar license. So you, you can't you can't practice law anymore. So like what where does it go from there, man? And that's the 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 Paul's graph revelation is kind of where that picks up, right? Yeah. So I mean, if I could if I could plug the book this way, I would say, yeah. uh, you know, imagine you, those of you who are sober out there listening to this, which I imagine the majority of people, imagine you are thirty four years old, you're a disbarred lawyer. You have, I don't know, probably a quarter million in debt. You have, you're a two-strike felon. You're on probation, and you're a registered sex offender. You're sober for two years. That's that was my life. Wow. Imagine just just think about that. Like imagine trying to date. Imagine <laughs> trying to get a job. Yeah. Imagine trying to get an apartment. Nearly imagine impossible. facing friends from wow. law school who heard about it. Imagine going to an, a 12-step meeting and even in a 12-step meeting being terrified that people are going to find out that you're a registered sex offender and how they're going to treat you. Yeah. Um, so the beauty of this is because of my stubbornness, because I'm a binge drinking alcoholic of the very worst kind of the dead on arrival type, again, I was put in a situation by God or a power, uh, a power greater than myself. However you look at your higher power, I was put in a situation where I was like, Hey, here we are again. You, you can either live or you can die, which is the same as saying you can either go to God or you can die in my opinion. So that's what I did. And so you can, it's, it's kind of easy in a way people are like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, it's easy. There's you either die or you don't die. You live or you don't. You either make the yeah. best of it or you don't. And so I'm like, hey, man, I, bro- I grew up with a heroin-addicted mom with welfare and, and needles and, and drugs and crime all around me. Horrible things happened to me when I was a child. And I survived that and I thrived. I can do this again. Yeah. And I, and I did. Yeah. With, I, the help of, with the help of the 12 steps. Mm. I mean, 12, that's 12 steps particularly the 12 step culture, you know what I mean? Yeah. That community and fellowship. Exactly. And see, that's, that's the thing. Like when you, when you say that, just, just, we, we, you mentioned this, um, we had a little hiccup in the recording, but there was, you know, just that term that you have to say registered sex offender. You don't get a, when you say that you don't get a background story somebody doesn't see the normal person, right? Whether you're inside of prison or jail or whether you're outside on the street, that's all you hear. So you don't hear the back, the back part of the story. So there's that immediate judgment right off of the, right off of the bat. How do you, how, how do you deal with that, man? How have you been able to deal with that? I mean, I know you just said that the 12, 12 steps, community fellowship, staying sober. Um, but I mean, to be able to, to stand and walk through that, um, like, I mean, even just like getting a job, getting an apartment, like those are things I don't even think about until you say them. I go, man, like, wow. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be. Um, a challenge would be putting it lightly, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I in the Paul's graph revelation, 
I dress each one of those as a story, how I got a job. And that's probably the most amazing story. I mean, it really is kind of amazing. You, if you don't, if you don't see some higher power in the way I got a, um, really, really good corporate job with a fortune 500 company after this happened, then you just can't see God because yeah. <laughs> it's a burning bush if there ever is one. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, and uh, you just have to do each one of those one uh, step at a time. And I could tell you, like, it's, it's, you know, when I first came out with Straight Rubber Diet, I was terrified. Oh, yeah. That now it's like, I was terrified on the one hand, everybody's going to find out you're a registered ex offender. It's right there. Yeah. Right. And I was, I've never had a neighbor fuck with me. I've never had anybody fuck with me about it. I've never had anybody in a meeting come up to me and talk to me about it. Yeah. Uh, about, you know, that or anything like that. It's very interesting. I, I think maybe, maybe I'm challenged to believe that people actually think the way we think they think about this stuff. Yeah. Maybe there's so many people that have been incarcerated and so many people that have been affected by the criminal justice system. Maybe they have a better understanding than I believe they do about these things. So uh, is, is they just there... passed a law, a huge, huge law that you may have heard about, which is going to reduce the number of people on the registration list by a lot, possibly. And the reason they did that, unfortunately, I won't be one of those people that gets off of it. But the point being is that they kind of realize that the science, that the whole idea of registering people as sex offenders, the, that underlying science was wrong like the recidivism rate for registered sex offenders is no different. In fact, I think it's less in a lot of cases than regular um, crimes, other crimes. And so what happened was they basically, the people that were arguing that they, this needed to change finally made this argument that, that worked eventually. And that was, look, we've got so many people on the registered sex offender list that even the cops don't think we should have it like this, even the DAs, because how are you going to keep track of the really dangerous people, the people who really are likely to recidivate? I mean, yeah. nobody thinks I'm going to recidivate. The judge didn't think so when he sentenced me, let alone 16 years from now when I'm, you know, yeah. still here, never recidivated or, you know, committed a crime or anything. I've never committed a crime. I've never committed a crime in my life that wasn't in a blackout. Yeah. And I'm 16 years sober. You know, and so that law has changed. So people's opinion actually has changed. So in some ways, my fear probably exceeded the reality. I mean, when I was, I write about this in the polygraph revelation, but I had, I had damn near, I mean, it would, it was borderline hallucinogen, uh, hallucinogenic how far my fantasies about people finding out about me being a registered sex offender went. Wow. Like it, I was so paranoid. It was terrifying, just terrifying. Well, so why, um, why you mentioned, and I was going to ask you this, and then you kind of mentioned it too, but is there, so there's not a chance that just considering the circumstances of, of your situation that you can ever come off of that list, even though uh, there, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a, an actual act that was committed in a sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the nature of our criminal justice system that the legislature has passed certain laws where they take the authority away from a judge to make a decision based on the circumstances. So in other words, my judge literally said at my sentencing hearing and after it, and I discussed this yeah. in, in the book, like you should not, he shouldn't be on this. He is not a dangerous society. There is nothing good coming out of this. This is only harming him. But, um, 
the law says that the judge doesn't have the authority to do that. So if you are convicted of this crime, in my case, pleaded no contest, which in yeah. legal terms is the same as pleading um, guilty. Um, if you plead no contest to this and you have this conviction on your record, that's it. There's no, yeah. there's, there's no discretion allowed the judge. We've taken all that discretion away from judges. So is that, is that true for, and I've, I've heard this, it's probably a myth. I don't know. Someone's taking a piss out in a park and a, and a, and a cop, gives them a t can they can they be uh considered and have to register as a sex offender for taking a leak out in the park i mean i i'm not an expert in these things yeah I, it, to be honest with you like I, I again i keep on referencing the book but i talk about this in the book like i know i should be out there becoming an expert in this stuff but the reality is every time i even look at the statutes i break out <laughs> i don't blame it, yeah but but the reality is i think that uh, this new law, the, this amendment of Penal Code 290, actually addresses a lot of those because that's where a yeah. lot of people go. They go, "Oh, my so you know my friend's was 17 and his girlfriend was 16, and then she turned 17 and he turned 18, and they had been having sex, and boom, now he's a registered sex offender for yeah. life." And that happens, but not as often, I think, as people think. I think most of that doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, so, I, I and I and I feel like that's that's an issue even outside of the specific topic itself where we tend to generalize these situations instead of looking at each individual um, case or each individual's experience or each individual's thing. And you can look at like, and I, you know, I'm not going to not trying to go down too far this road, but racism, for instance, right? We all know that racism exists, but to blanket it all and say, everybody's racist, you have to look at individual people's experiences and, 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 and different situations because the majority of it is probably not the majority that I see every day. I mean, I see all kinds of different people and in this case and uh, from different backgrounds and cultures and I love it, but th like this case for, um, for you, for instance, um, man, I totally just lost my train of thought. What the hell I was going to say, but you kind of get what I'm saying, like in, in a sense yeah. of generalizing stuff versus looking at each individual case. And they've kind of taken that away from you. It sounds like in, in your own right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see that a little bit with the me too movement. You have some of these cases that are, um, that get, I don't think a whole lot of people do this. Cause I think there's a lot more sophistication in society nowadays, but occasionally you'll see people getting, you know, someone like uh, Aziz Ansari, I think yeah. is his name, the comedian, yeah. who had a very unfortunate situation happen with a with a date and and some things happened, but they were clearly they weren't crimes. They yeah. probably weren't even civil wrongs. They were just not cool and and um you know, I, I don't want to <laughs> put myself in hot water in no, 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 very you. difficult yeah. situations and yeah. then talking about him in the same context as Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, who, exactly. Who yeah. has been convicted of actually committing a rape. Yeah. I mean, those are both wrongs, but putting those in the same category is pretty, uh, pretty dicey scenario. We got to be careful totally. with that. And that, that's, uh, and that just kind of reminded me of what I was going to say too. You mentioned earlier about, okay, with this law, how do you, Dif how do you separate the real sex offenders? There's real sex offenders out there that are terrible, terrible people. How do you, you know, how do you make sure that those people are the ones that are actually, you know, getting the justice that the victim or whatever deserves through those people versus people like yourself who had a blackout situation that 
um, you know, or, or somebody like the, uh, Aziz, um, situation that you just spoke about? Uh, well, Aziz, you know, he just had a bad, I don't want to say a bad date, but he, you know, yeah. that, he's well, not say, even, in a, even the, in a conversation, but just so nobody goes, he said, Aziz no, is totally. I know. Or no, like no, no, I know. I got but, you. Yes, yes, totally. You know, that's, but good. that's a very good question. And I want to address this because yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand. I love parks and recreation, by the way, people are about this stuff. And that is, um, in Los Angeles, when I was incarcerated in Los Angeles before, because what happens when you go to prison is they first you have to go to jail, and then when there's space, they transfer you. And sometimes it takes a long friggin' time, yeah. <laughs> which is just extra time in your sentence. But anyway, um, there was a whole pod of men who were who had served their time for sex offenses, but were confined civilly quote-unquote civilly under the welfare and institutions code and and they were kept in jail but technically they weren't jail prisoners they were civil prisoners so believe me if you are a recidivist sex offender who you know a psychiatrist has looked at and said like this dude is going to do it again and a lot of times these people admit that that is going to happen they are kept they are kept a lot of times civilly confined. There's people that have served, you know, say a, a person commits a horrible crime like a molestation and it's their second offense. They go to jail, they go to prison, they come out and then they don't get to go back into society. A lot of them go into civil confinement. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Like, you know, we're not letting to, especially a lot of it, a lot of the recidivism um, and again, I'm not an expert on this stuff and we're probably going down a road, so, no, that's cool. so, but yeah. I just want to yeah. make this out. There is a lot of the recidivist, the really high recidivist where the science actually does, uh, say that there's a high level of recidivism. Those people are getting civilly confined. And, 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 and so just so I'm clear and maybe those out there listening are clear too, can you define one more time civilly, um, Confined. Confined. Yeah. So what, what does I that might, look like? I might, not be, I might not be using the perfect language here, but yeah. basically my understanding of it is that uh, under the Welfare and Institutions Code, I believe it's the state attorney general can file a civil action in uh, special courts. They might, I, I don't know what kind of courts they are, but they're, they're not like the regular courts. I don't think, I think they're a special court set up for this. Yeah. And they basically are saying, look, we know this guy did his time. But we think he's such a risk to society that we can't let him out. And so we want to civilly confine him. And they are. They're civilly confined. I literally saw these dudes. And it was weird because they were in a pod, but they weren't really – the pod is like an area in a jail yeah. that's um, – as opposed to individual cells. It's like a giant like living space. And they were in there, but they were treated differently because they're, they're not prisoners. I mean, they're, they're – really? you know, technically, they're civilly confined. But they're a risk to be out on the street, which, you know. Right. I, and, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I, that, uh, you know, it, it, people can argue like, hey, man, if you do your time, you should have a second chance. I don't know about those are, circumstances, in my own yeah, opinion. I have yeah. kids, man. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't want somebody with that set of circumstances moving in next door to me. That's just my own opinion. And No, know. I mean, I have, I have a niece and nephew who are kids, and if somebody was a uh, – multiple time yeah child molestation conviction 
without any exigent circumstances or, you know, if it was just straight clear that that was the case, of course you wouldn't want them living by you. Of yeah. course. That's, that's the thing that's so scary about being a registered sex offender is that I get yeah. thrown in well, in that, that category. That, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. And and that that's exact. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly, I know I didn't articulate the point very well earlier when I kind of brought up the racism thing, but like, that's kind of what I was getting at is that you you're blanketed in by this general title with everybody, you know what I mean? No matter what your specific situation is. And that right there um, is, I mean, I don't even know what to say. It's tough, man. That's yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. so the, the good news is it's been 16 years. Yeah. What's the good news? Let's talk about some good news. Just <laughs> well, there's a lot of good yeah, news. In I'm, my life. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Let's... I'm married yeah. to a wonderful woman uh, who's, who shares a lot of my, uh, you know, 12 stepping, I don't, I don't like awesome. to identify spe with specific uh, groups so sure. that I keep the anonymity at least technically yeah. uh, good. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, and I'm married. I'm, I'm financially sound. I have a great life. Playing uh, a lot of golf. I play a lot of golf. I, I'm kind of retired early. Like <laughs> I lost the job, that miracle job that I got that kind of got me from going down the path towards homelessness when I yeah. first got out. And, I uh, kind of haven't had a job since then. It's been over, what, that was 2010. Uh, so I've been retired for about 10 years. I do the same thing retired people do. Uh, I play golf and I, uh, I I fuck around with my stocks. And uh, <laughs> I know I was cracking up. I, I write was, books. I was telling you uh, before we started today, uh, what's your Instagram, by the way? Plug your Instagram just so people, if they want to follow. Oh, it's at Joseph W. Naus. Yeah, so I see Which, Joseph. If you're looking for golf stuff, go to at jo Joseph W. Naus. If you're looking for writing or addiction stuff, go to my Twitter, which is the same thing, at Joseph W. Naus. And I'll put those links in the, in the show notes as well, folks, so you guys can find them in there. But um, I see Joseph on, on Instagram because we follow each other on there. And uh, he's got this, the, the golf net. Uh, I, don't even, I don't know exactly. It's a, it's a golf net basically set up in your backyard, and you can just take swings into it. Golf is one of the hardest the hardest games, I mean, like I can go out and have a great golf day one day and be like, yeah, I'm the, I'm, man, I'm kicking ass today. Golf is great. And then no shit. The next week I could go out and play again and shoot like 110 and just be walking off going, I hate golf. Golf sucks. Why did I even come out here today? I just wasted a hundred bucks, you know, whatever like that. It's a tough thing, man. But it's, I always crack up because you, man, you're just getting it down taking swings. And that's what you kind of got to do is take a ton of swings. Yeah, it, golf is a. I mean, uh, the Paul's Graph Revelation has a lot of golf in it. I, I shouldn't say a lot of golf in it. It has some golf in it as it relates to my story, mm. because golf was kind of an outlet for me. I felt powerless over my entire life because of these circumstances, these yeah. labels that have been on me. So I felt really powerless, and I wanted something that I could pour myself into, mm. and golf became that thing. And you know, like you said, you could spend a lifetime pouring yourself into golf and still be an average golfer. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no doubt. My my buddy, uh, my buddy sent me, uh, my buddy Moak, he sent me a, a, a quick video the other day and it was Mike Trout. And I, I wanna say it, it might've been at like a top golf or something, but the, he got up there and he had, he had a, you know, his, a bunch of his homies around and stuff too. I don't know if it if, if some sort of bet or whatever, but, and you mentioned this, baseball players, they're, 
a lot of the time good at golf where they can at least hit the shit out of the ball. Mike Trout hit one over the freeway on this thing. It was, it was unbelievable. I never seen a, a, a golf ball come off. I mean, maybe like a Tiger Woods style or something, but absolutely just annihilates the ball. And I guess it flew out of the range over the freeway. Is ridiculous. I'll have to put off I'll, I'll try to wow. find the video and put it in the show notes because it's crazy. But you said you play a lot with with a lot of baseball players, a lot of different people. Um, yeah, my buddy I play a lot with is a baseball coach at wow. a high school in um, LA and him and his dad, his dad's like in his seventies and still plays hardball. Really? <laughs> no way. Yeah, man. That is amazing. And, um, and they're both good baseball players and, and they both have, just have natural swings. Like, yeah, you know, they could, my buddy Rex, he could go, he could go months without playing golf and still hit a ball solid. Cause he understands it's, it's I, golf is one of those sports where if you played as a child, versus if you started as an adult there's no similarities between those two things yeah. there is absolutely none literally your brain is wired differently yeah it is that's why kids learn so much easier languages sports piano you know music all those things when you're a kid the connections have already been made in your brain yeah i mean when you're i'm sorry when you're an adult the connections have already been made in your brain and they have to be they your brain doesn't make new connections it reroutes old ones yeah. this is it's fascinating <laughs> the science behind this stuff if you ever want to read about it uh there's the the master of mastery is this guy named andres erickson and he wrote a book called peak hmm. which is very readable it's science-based but it's very readable has a lot of footnotes but it's very readable yeah. and he explains mastery and by mastery i mean like people who master whatever whether it be brain games chess music baseball golf piano he studies them and 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 talks about what the difference is between like um being good at something and being yeah. great at something what, what's the book called again i'm gonna put it in here in the show notes peak peak p-e-a-k by andres erickson andres Erickson. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too, just in case anybody wants, cause it sounds pretty damn interesting. And the thing that I love too about golf is there's so many analogies with golf and recovery. It's like golf is a consistent, um, thing of practice. And it's the same thing with recovery. You know what I mean? Like we're constantly practicing and some days we go out and we kick ass. And like, for me, I can shoot an 88 and that's, that's pretty damn good for me. Um, you know, and some days I terribly suck and it's the same thing with recovery is that some days I have phenomenal days or weeks, man, some days are just really, really tough. But the, the point being is that I'm consistent in the practice that I'm putting in on, but I'm probably not as consistent on golf because I don't get to play as much as I would like, but the same analogy, right? Same, same type yeah. of thing. And, uh, it really does golf too. For me, it's, it helps to slow, to slow my mind down, to, to, to slow down in general. And I used to get, I used to play golf and it was just an excuse to go get fucked up. That's pretty much what it used to be. <laughs> oh, we're fucking going golfing, bro. We're flipping the carts over, just, you know, just hammered 18 packs and shots and smoking cigarettes. And man, it wasn't about the golf. It was just about an excuse to go party. And if you got, you know, 10, 11, 12 holes in, that was considered good because the rest of the time I was just dicking off anyways. But um, man, it's so great to be able to play though sober and actually sit in a, a what's a slow paced game and, and kind of enjoy it yeah yeah it's been great for me I, I i will say that i started out i'm a i'm just not good i was a terrible golfer i mean i was i played some sports uh 
kickboxing, some endurance running and stuff like that. I, I never was a particularly good athlete, but I was a hard working athlete. So when you're very hard working, you can kind of make up for certain things. So like in, like I played soccer late in life and all my friends were really good at soccer and they were very talented, yeah. but I was a really hard worker. So I could like play fullback and kind of be an enforcer kind of guy, but I didn't have any <laughs> skills, Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I was, you know, but I worked hard. And so anyway, my point is that like, I just was horrible at golf, like really, really horrible. And to take that on. And the reason I picked golf was because I really love the life of like an athlete. Yeah. Like if it were up to me, I'd be training all the time, like a professional athlete. I'd be training all the time. I'd, everything would be around that. It's a simple life and I, I love it. Yeah. And so with golf, it was the only sport that I could see besides for maybe bowling or something <laughs> where you could start late in life. And because of the nature of golf, you could get super, super good at it, even though your body, like yeah. you couldn't, what I'm trying to say is you, you couldn't just be like, Hey, I love, I'm going to start playing basketball now yeah. or football. Like, yeah. No matter how good your footwork is, no matter how good yeah. you understand the pick and roll, you ain't going to be good in your late forties in, in, uh, in basketball. But with golf, you can be, you could go all the way up to your probably mid sixties and have a shot at being a very competitive amateur golfer because the nature of mechanics is the nature of mechanics overcomes the nature of the physical body. So for instance, Mike Trout, yes, I, I can't even imagine how much Mike Trout can squat, but it's probably more than my car. But if you take Mike an Trout animal. and he has a terrible golf swing, he's not gonna be able to hit the ball very far relative to somebody who's average, who has a great golf swing. Yeah. Now, if you take Mike Trout and you give him a great golf swing, then you're talking about hitting it over the, over yeah. the net. Yeah. But the nature of golf is it's kind of like pitching. In my opinion, pitching and golf are the two most complicated uh, movements in sports. I love watching slow motion breakdown of, of, of baseball pitchers. I mean, you see their, I mean, their elbows are yeah. way out in front, out in front and the late release and the lower body and the leverage. And you get, was that guy from San Francisco? I mean, he was um, only like five, nine and he was pitching. Oh, Lincecum for uh, are you talking about yeah, a while ago. Like, he had long hair. Yeah. Lincecum, Tim Lincecum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a guy like that with yeah. them, I know that people have live arms and people don't. So there is a difference between baseball and golf, yeah. but you have to understand the mechanics. Maybe they come natural to you, but you either have the mechanics or you don't. You yeah. can't just pitch without good mechanics. You'll either kill yourself yeah. or you won't be good. But you, you know. Well, that was, that was the thing. Everything. That was the thing with Lincecum too. And, and I remember uh, hearing scouting reports and hearing them uh, talk about his style, his mechanics, how he threw. He, he, was, he was little, like you see, he wasn't a big dude, but he threw so damn hard um, and there was something about the, the way that the way that he threw, there was a specific amount of torque or something that was put on his arm in, in just the way that he threw that allowed him to throw that way. And right. I mean, natural talent, no doubt, but they had said that the longevity of his career 
it won't be some like similar to some of these other guys who end up pitching in the league for 10, 15, 20 years just because of that. And I think that's, that's what happened to him because he didn't, I don't know how he had a decent career for sure, but he was out a lot quicker than, uh, you know, than, than some of the other guys that have been able to have a longer, man, there's so much strategy in that too. I love like, um, I used to play baseball, but then as I've gotten older and obviously look at it more from the strategic perspective, it's such a fun game, man. It helps to slow me down a little bit too. Yeah. I never was a baseball guy. It's like one of those things kind of hard to come into late in life, Mm -hmm. but I've slowly, like I have so many friends who are into baseball and I've gotten to the point now where like, I do like watching, having the games on and seeing them because they I mean, some people watch it are like, what is this? You know, there's no movement. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah, it's like watching but, grass grow. I always hear that one. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but like, you know, if I could plug like this guy needs any plug for me, but one of my favorite books is a guy as my friend Rex uh, recommended me. And it's called the art of fielding. If you haven't read the art of fielding, give it a try. Okay. It's a fictional book, but it has some really inside uh, yeah. baseball it's college baseball team it's pretty interesting. oh yeah that sounds great man yeah we're we're gearing up for it i'm a big oakland a's fan so i take my son to opening day every year so on the 26th uh we got oakland uh it's not anaheim i can't remember who they're opening against right now but uh yeah you know we go out and hang out man it's a good it's a pastime man it's the, the pastime yeah. is good um man hey let's let's jump in real quick i i had this on my notes here and i wanted to kind of ask you about it and get your take on it i feel like it's something that is not talked about as often because it's always alcohol or 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 cocaine or pills or meth whatever it is tobacco addiction man like such a huge such a huge um you know issue for so many people even that are sober still doing to you know tobacco like I, I can't lie man I, I take a chew every now and again when I'm mowing the lawn or something man I, I'll put a dip in sometimes um, I haven't smoked a cigarette in six and a half years since I went into rehab I quit cold turkey right there and it's not something I do regularly anyways the chew it's it's very occasionally but but still there's still something about the tobacco I know you've struggled with it a bit uh, I just was kind of interested on your take Oh man, you hit on it, right? Like you want to talk to me, talk to me about <laughs> golf and tobacco, right? Yes. I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I was quote unquote raised up in the beverage program, but I have to say in recent years where I've found myself being the most pure energy of just love and recovery and just really understanding my place is in the nicotine 12 step rooms. Mm. There is something so pure about it. And, and, and my, like, I I just, God, I love getting people off nicotine, Mm. helping people get off nicotine, you know, because so many people in Los Angeles um, recovery and I'm sure all over the country. Yeah. They, they have the same story, right? Most of us do. You sound like yours is a little different, but most of us do. We get sober. We probably smoke more than we used to, <laughs> or, you yeah. know, or maybe we got off drugs, but we smoke more than we used to. And then we find ourselves after the triage period of being in recovery, maybe in, maybe in AA, maybe in uh, NA, whatever, you find yourself asking this question. And this question is, I just went through hell to get off an addiction that is going to, that I knew was going to kill me. And yet here I am 
doing another addiction that I know 100%, 100% is going to kill me. It killed our founder, Bill Wilson. It killed my mom just a few years ago. It killed her mom. Before that, both of them in their late fifties. Wow, so young. And and my mom, you know, she smoked her whole life, and it. I could see the terror in her eyes when she thought about the idea of quitting. It was mm. what she had. She had. She used to be a dope fiend, and she kicked that with, with the use of methadone. She didn't use program, yeah. and she fought through all kinds of difficulties in her life. But that was the one thing she could never give up. And um, you know, I, I like to be in service in all the programs but i feel like my clarity and in fact the paul's graph revelation the cover of it has i know i love the cover smoking and it's number one in uh new it was number one in new releases in nicotine addiction really i think i did see that actually yeah that's awesome uh, who did the cover by the way just i know if you don't uh you you tagged me put it all together it looks great but travis bedell who is an artist up by you okay i think he does a lot in san francisco i think he might uh actually i'm not I think he might live up there, but he did that. the The smoke we added, but the but that actual yeah. uh, picture is him. He's a up and coming artist, or, or maybe already yeah. there. He's a he's just this amazing artist, and he's the one who did that piece of art, which I am absolutely in love with. Yeah, it, it looks great. That's the first thing. I mean, when I first saw the cover, I went, "Oh man!" It like kind of blew me back. I said, "Man, that is awesome!" And oh, uh, thanks. I, yeah, dude, it came out great. And I saw I I, t- I put this in the notes here just so I could see it too. I saw that Ritual did a, a a quick quote. His prose skillfully conjures the addict mind. An incredible read. Rich always uses words that I have no fucking idea what they mean. I had to look up prose. I go, "What the hell is prose? What is that?" <laughs> It's my, uh, you know, uneducated ass. He, he's such a, he's such a good, uh, good dude though, man. I like him in his podcast, but th- I thought that was great too, that he, that he uh, had mentioned that about the book too. Yeah. He's been a, uh, advocate for, uh, recovery in a yeah. big way, just like you and, um, Omar. Are you friends with Omar? Yeah, Omar or, Pinto. You guys know Omar, Share right? podcast. Yes. I love. Yeah. Love, I like I those. You guys now. are, uh, are bringing the, uh, recovery to the podcast man i mean thanks man good. I, I really the rich is uh you know has a obviously a very big platform yeah and uh i'm it's cool that he does that because you know it's good it's, yeah. I mean, it's good you do it too you know it's, it's amazing now you you have you been on his you've been on his show the first time i thought had you or no Am I yeah yeah that, i was on uh, yeah, rich on rich's podcast before yeah right? Are you going to, are you going to do another uh, guest spot for the new book? You have any thoughts about that or anything or that'd be awesome. I'd I'd like, I'd love to. I'd like to. Yeah. I think uh, at this point he's so popular. He probably has people booked out for years. No, he did, man. He, he just, he blew up. I mean, he took off like crazy in the last couple of years. He came on this show, gosh, probably in the first, right around a hundred, 110 episodes a couple of years ago. Yeah. He was great, man. We chatted for 30 minutes and it was nice of him to take the time to do that. But, um, yeah, since he, I, I love the, you know, the advocacy for recovery and then all the other great crap that he has on there stuff is, is yeah. good too. But I'm big, you know, I'm a, I'm a vegan too. Uh, and so I learn a lot from his podcast about, about that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's so, cool to have, I love podcasts or, you know, it's the, it's crazy how fast and how just expansive it is now. And it's just blown up. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the mainstream, you know, media outlets and companies are, are really putting a foothold in it now, which is, 
which is kind of crazy. It's a little scary for us little podcaster guys out there too that are doing the thing. But for me, that's not even what it's about anyways. It's just about having these great conversations and, and helping to uh, create some good, um, you know, some some good uh, content for people to listen to and hopefully it helps some people. Um, but real, that's real, a great thing about, uh, sorry to- No, no, go ahead, please. I just had please. to say that. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, you know, in, in the room sometimes. It's like, I just had this idea- this fantasy that I would suddenly just like help. Like I just have this slew of sponsees and I would just get everybody sober and yeah. off nicotine and, and that lives would be great. And they would learn from my mistakes and, and I would just be this, uh, you know, it'd be so easy, but that, that's just not the way God has it. Yeah. I affect somebody here and maybe two years later they say, Hey, I ended up going back to the rooms because I heard this or I read your book. You know, it's like little things here and there. Maybe sometimes I sponsor somebody and they make it through to the fourth step and then they drop out. And then a couple of years later they come back. It's like, you don't get it your way, you know, necessarily. Yeah, yep. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I do. And so I mean, your, your podcast touch people that touch people. Yeah. You may not even know about it. They might touch somebody, touch somebody, touch somebody. And because of your, uh, this chain reaction, you got somebody sober or at least thinking about getting sober. No, it's such a great point. You just reminded me of um, our pastor Dave here at the father's house in Vacaville. Um, you know, he, he always brings a great word, but there was one, I'm pretty sure it was pastor Dave. He, he gave a word one day and this thing has always stuck with me that, you know, sometimes God gives us, um, you know, blesses us with platforms or people that he brings into our lives that we get to share with or, or have an effect on or whatever. And sometimes it's just that seed that we get to plant but we don't, we're not the ones who get to, um, see the benefits of that seed, the fruit of that tree later on down the road. And so we have to, we have to understand that. So in other words, like I've been frustrated in my life before because I don't, I have these expectations set for something. Maybe this is going to come out of it and it ruins me. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh man, like why I set myself up for disaster because I set these expectations when really I just need to do what's in the moment right now. I just need to do this. This is what God put in front of me right now. And if it's planting a seed in someone else or someone else planting a seed in me or whatever, you know, it's not my job or my task or my worry to worry about what the outcome of that is. And that has been, I mean, that's been a huge, um, a huge piece of progress for me in trying to keep that conscious and not get wrapped up in all those expectations and stuff because they've destroyed me before. Yeah. I can certainly relate with that with specifically with this, with the books, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, you know, my first book sold way more than anybody would have thought it was going to right. Yeah. An, an author who never wrote a book before who wasn't with a major publisher, like, and it sold a lot. And this one has uh, sold a lot at the beginning and it's kind of gone down and now I'm waiting for reviews. And, but you know, like, I can't, you just got to, I, I have to stay away from the results. Like yep. one day it's up, one day it's down. I can't be, I can't be jerked around like that. I'm just doing yeah. it to myself. So my mantra with regard to the book, at least is stay in the art. I keep telling myself, stay in the art. That's I'm not good, here bro. to sell books. I'm in here. I'm here to write the best book I can. Yep. And I did that with a polygraph. I put way more work and time and uh, expertise from other people into this book than I did in the first book. How long, how long did it take you to write Paul's graph revelation? I probably started writing it a year after the straight paper first diet. one came out maybe. Yeah. So four years, four, oh, something like that. Four years. Like it went through a massive editing 
process, yeah. like really, I mean, it covers, you know, cause it like scraper River diet was just kind of one track. It was very, the, the plot was very simple, but this one is, you know, you've got your relationship stuff. Yeah. You've got your spirituality with science of mind and my, and my, uh, church related type of stuff uh, and my spiritual quest and you've got um, sex addiction, registered sex offender. You've got the corporate stuff. I mean, the end of the book has a lot that speaks to the 2008 recession. Mm, really? Um, you know, and, and a lot of people went through that and it's kind of funny because a lot of people just kind of forgot that we went through that. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. It's, if you read my book, you will not have forgotten. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy time. Shit, we're probably gearing up for the next one, man. Shoot. <laughs> See, there goes yeah. my future tripping. My future tripping. Oh, there's going to be a reset. Oh, no. It's like, well, it's nah, very much. I'm an investor, you know? Yeah. And it's very much like that. You, Election a lot of people year, too. You yeah. Unless you're a day trader or a swing trader, you do not want to be looking at the stock market every day. Oh, man. You want to be looking crazy. at the long picture of these. Mm. Is it a good company? is it a profitable company or is it not? You do yeah. not want to be looking at the daily swings and making your decision based on some stupid article comes out that says, <laughs> you know, something yeah. and it goes down 10 points and it goes up. No, 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 no. Yeah. You know how you go on your iPhone and you can look at the, the stocks yeah. and you look at yeah. it from one day, three months. Yeah. It's almost like a perspective analysis that you could do with your own life. If you just imagine like, <laughs> look at the difference between looking at your stock, a, a particular stock of the New York stock exchange or whatever index on one day versus three months versus one year versus five years. It's like, and five yeah. years isn't even a long view for real value investors, you know? So you got, we got to do that with our own lives too. Right. Yeah. Like, that's good. That's good. Long term, man. Yep. Day to day can get all over the place. Oh, easily, man. Easily at this. And at the same time. Yeah. Like not like I've always, I've have kind of struggled with that. My sponsor and I talk about that, you know, often is like the difference between like, cause we're, we're taught like be in the moment, you know, be, be in the conscious moment, do the next right thing, like stay here. So we don't get wrapped up in all this stuff. But at the same time, and I talked to my wife about this too. And she's like, well, you know, well, well how, what do you mean? Like we're, you know, we're, we're also taught to have dreams and to have goals and to, and to work hard and to put, you know, um, maybe those goals are three, six, nine, 12 months out and we want to meet the, so like, what's the balance in between that, you know? And, uh, uh, happy to say, I still haven't figured it out. I don't know that I ever will, but uh, I, I think what I, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm trying and I try to find some sort of balance between that into like living in the moment, be, not like the, the book thing that you mentioned, the expectations. I can do the same shit with the numbers on the podcast. Oh, how many downloads we get? Oh, this other podcast got way more reviews than, than we do. Like, why, what are we doing? I, if I get wrapped up in that stuff, man, it, it can just, it destroy, like it'll wreck me. You know what I mean? Emotionally, I'm just a dick and not happy. And I don't want to deal with that kind of crap, you know? So I got to be very careful of like drawing the line between, yeah, I have some goals, some dreams. I have some visions on where I'd like to see our family and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's like, I just need to do what's in front of me today. And like right now, the most important thing, talking to, to Joseph, you know what I mean? Talking to you, hanging out, having a good conversation where, you know, we're putting some stuff out there that we hope some other people can relate to. So anyways, I know I just blabbed your ear off for three minutes right there. My bad. No, that's what the <laughs> podcast is for. It is. It is. But I you know, like, I, like you're saying is I can relate with that because you're, um, every moment that you put in thinking about how many downloads there are is a moment you could be working on your craft creating. Right? And, yeah. and, you know, I'm the same way. Like I, I, 
if I have to, if I refresh the stupid uh, Amazon ranking one more time, you know, like there's no good in that. I just, sometimes I, I have to write hard and fast rules for myself because I don't have the discipline to do it. Yeah. I, like my wife w- w- will attest to this, like no more political posts mm. on Facebook. <laughs> you know, like it does. Yeah. I am teaching no one anything. Yeah. <laughs> no one's looking to me for political very few people at least yeah. are looking to me for political, uh, for political opinions. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a way of getting out Venting something or, in me. It yeah. doesn't, it's, it's, it's not doing anybody any good. It yeah. sure as hell isn't doing me any good. Yeah. Like I, I just, that's why I stay in the art. I have the same, same way with golf. I had, I will be happy to report to you that after, um, what is it now over a decade of, of golf that, in this last year I have gotten to the point where I don't get really angry on the golf course anymore. Great. And that, I mean, you will, you'll, if you read the book, you'll see like I have anger issues and they come out (laughs) on the golf course in big ways. Like to the point of where I had friends who were like, we're not going to play with you anymore. Damn. Like it was that bad. You throw, you throw a club here and I've thrown a club. I got to admit here and there. I try not to. It's been a while, but I've I've chucked them. <laughs> I mean, the anger is it's not that cutesy anger. Yeah. It's not like it's not like Caddyshack anger. It's, it's real anger. dark, dense wow. anger. And it's ugly. Uh the other day I golfed with somebody just randomly because I got I got paired up with him and I saw this dude who was a nice guy, but he also had this anger. And I was like, Man, that is ugly. And that is exactly what I used to look like. <laughs> I did not want to go back there. Dang, it's that's crazy. Not pretty. Did you, hey, did, did you, uh, did you quit smoking by the way? I didn't even ask you that. You're Did you quit smoking? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You're I, done, I, right? I, so yeah, you haven't smoked. I've been off in, nicotine for, uh, 11, 12 wow. years. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, of, you know, a lot of people struggling with, uh, with the nicotine. I had a, maybe I'll ask you this. Uh, I, have you ever uh, seen a book called, uh, the diseasing of America by Stanton Peel? Are you familiar with any of Stanton Peel's work? No. Really, really interesting book. Actually, somebody gave it to me when I was down in LA and um, I said, what the hell is this? It sat on my shelf for probably a year. And then I, I don't know what it was. I picked it up and basically Stanton Peel's work his whole lifelong work and, and uh, a lot of, a lot of debate and a lot of controversy around this topic. So I'll just get that out in the open first, but his whole philosophy um, is that addiction is not a disease and, and the addiction um, is more of a personal choice or responsibility, right? And I'm not saying either way that that I'm promoting either one. I'm just giving the, the context here. So for those out there listening here going, what the fuck did you just say? That's not what I'm saying. It's very interesting work. But he gives this example in the in the book and on some interviews that I saw of smoking where, and this is kind of to support some of his thesis of addiction is not a disease. He he's in a He's in a conference room and he's given a conference to like a couple hundred doctors and therapists and uh, he's, he's speaking at it. Um, and, and he has everybody raise their hand if, um, if they smoked at one time, whoever had, has smoked at some time in their life and that was addicted to nicotine and like three quarters of the, of the room's hands go up. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know when this took place or whatever, but, um, so everyone, you know, a, a lot of people in the room's hands go up and then he says, how many of you went to treatment 
for nicotine, how many of you went to, uh, to rehab to, you know, some sort of uh, 12 step, whatever. And everyone's in the, in the room's hands went down. And so his point was that by, by choice, there's something that these people were able to get off of nicotine, which is, you know, a, a, a proven to be just as addictive, if not more than heroin and some of the other drugs, to my knowledge, at least. Um, and, and that, that, that was kind of his philosophy of, 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 uh, addiction being a, not a disease versus a, a personal choice. And like I said, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I don't really freaking know. I find it super interesting. The book has got a lot of good stuff in it too, but, um, I don't know any, any thoughts on that or anything with regard to nicotine. I mean, it is an interesting topic for sure. Well, I, uh, I mean, if we back out from nicotine and just ask the question, is addiction a disease? Mm -hmm. And I argued when I was in rehab, <laughs> and I was very argumentative, <laughs> uh, that addiction is not a disease. Yeah. And the reason, and people go, well, the American Medical Association says it is. Yeah. And I say, well, what do you think the American Medical Association's uh, wants from that is they want insurance to cover it. So exactly. there's a financial. And that's, that's a right big there. part of, of his book inside of it is, uh, is about the insurance companies and all that. But, but, but here's the thing. And I, I think I have a tweet within the last two weeks that said, that says addiction is a disease period. And the reason I say that is like, look, is, 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 is addiction a disease like cancer? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Mm -hmm. is, a is addiction a disease that kills a lot of people in this country? Mm -hmm. Is it something that you do? You know, the reason that he would, that some people would say it's not a disease is because a disease traditionally is not something that one has the power of getting rid of yes. with their own self-will. You know, so to me, it's a bit of semantics. It is. Let's just ask the question, is it a public health crisis? Absolutely. And the answer is yes. And then let's ask the question, what has worked to get rid of addiction? And the answer, especially when you get to drugs and alcohol and heroin, is the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. Are there other ways? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of your, um, you know, isn't Promises one of your sponsors, yeah. right? Like yep. they don't, I think they offer other. They do ways right it's yeah and it's, it's, there are yeah. and people definitely have recovered in other ways no question a lot of people got off smoking from from alan carr's the easy way to quit smoking and a lot of people have gotten off it other ways i'm not I, I mean my personal thing is I, I don't concern myself with the question of whether it's a disease i concern myself with the question of how many people it's hurting and how can we help those people yeah, no, I love that. And I think, I think you're right in the fact of the semantics of it, because you can, you could sit and have two people on both ends of the spectrum and they could probably argue about it, both proving their point for hours on end. And at the end of the day, is that helping anybody? Probably not. <laughs> that no. That's the more well, important. He would thing, argue, right? I, I imagine this guy would probably argue that classifying it as a disease gives people an excuse not to exercise willpower. And I think one thing that nicotine taught me, quitting nicotine taught me more than alcohol, quite frankly, because once I got off alcohol, I was in such a bad situation that to drink was to die mm. because they would literally have put me in jail if I, you know. Yeah. And I, anyway, but with nicotine is that it teaches you powerless in a big way. And it also teaches you that it's not a matter of willpower or 
a, a, a spiritual experience, God. It's yeah. both. Mm. You've got to have, you've got to use every ounce of your willpower and you have to have a spiritual experience. You don't get it. it via, it's not one or the other. It's not like, yeah. oh, this is going to be easy. You're just going to suddenly find uh, the spiritual experience and it's not going to be a problem. It's that you, we, need your, we need you to put your willpower on it. And in that willpower isn't just saying no, no, no. It's saying yes to doing all the things yeah. that get you to that spiritual experience. So you have, yeah. to wa- you have to want it. In other words, I just had this conversation. Uh, we had a meeting this morning about this recovery app um, and that's one of the things like you can't just force them, but you can't just say, Oh, you need to get sober or you should get sober. Like the, the person probably already knows that for the most part, or if they're on drugs or whatever, they got to want to, they have to want to do that. They have to be willing. They have to, you know, uh, be willing to put in the work, be willing to show up to do that. Uh, and if they're not, yeah, it's not, it, it, you're, you know, it doesn't work. Yeah. But I know, but I know for me and to see, I love this. And this even goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, about generalizing stuff versus looking at everyone's individual experience. I only know what I've experienced. And for me, 12 step works. It worked. It has worked. It continues to work. There's other things that I use too that work that complement that, but you know, that that's what, that's what worked for me. You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that, that, that it's going to work for somebody else or that it's, um, you know, that it will or it won't. Um, but, I know for me, that's, that's what I can share and, and kind of stick to. And I feel like you, you know, you kind of feel the, the same way on that. Yeah, I do. Definitely. I, I don't think it's, I, I think Mike, if somebody brings that up to me, I'm going, you're right. You're asking the wrong question. Yeah. I, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I like that. I don't you know, care. Is it, a, give a it, shit. <laughs> is it derived from a virus? Of course not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what, what does that mean? I mean, yeah. you know, does it kill people? Uh, yeah. Look around, look at the opioid yeah. crisis. And when you talk about nicotine, there has never been a drug that has been modified to the point nicotine has, specifically with cigarettes, to be as addictive as possible. Wow. The food food has undergone the same thing, kind of inadvertently, you know, salt, sugar. I mean, the food industry kind of inadvertently figured out that the more salt, sugar, and fat you put in food, the more it sells. The oh, more man. it sells, the more sugar, fat, and you know, to the point of where we have an obesity crisis in this yeah. country. Yeah. With I think like was it forty percent of Americans are are at some level of stage one, two, or three of obesity. Like I mean, we have a literal health crisis, and you could say that's not an addiction either, right? Because it's brought on by the person, or yeah. or it's not a virus or whatever or a bacteria, but is it killing people? Yes. <laughs> well, there, there's, yeah. And there's definitely something in the brain. Like I, th- there's kind of a, this running joke on the show of cherry pies with me. Right. So I don't turn to a bottle of vodka or a bag of dope or a cigarette anymore, but I'll turn to a cherry pie. Like I had one last week, had a, a crazy day. I was all like kind of just in a bad mood. I was like, I need a cherry pie. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, go to the store to grab some other stuff. I'm getting a cherry pie. Damn it. And is it good for you? Absolutely not. 450 calories full of sugar and crap, but <laughs> it's better than vodka. It's better than, uh, you know, it, well, I don't want to say it's better, but you know what I'm getting at? I'd rather at least well, do that yeah. every now and again than, than that. But point being is that there's something in there that still says this is going to make me feel better in this moment versus me being able to sit in that moment and actually deal with the way that I'm feeling. Um, man, man I, and I don't know, I don't know well, if that's, you know, good or bad, that- but 
it helped. That the up really, helped. <laughs> that brings up a really interesting point um, because my the nature of my recovery has been whack-a-mole. And with that, I mean, you know, the first thing I took away was alcohol. Yeah. And then I took away uh, and then I had to address the sex addiction and then the nicotine and then the sugar and then other things. And like some of these, maybe some of this is an addiction. Maybe it's not. I don't really care. Call it whatever <laughs> you want. It's killing me. Yeah. But and sometimes like I have um, uh, a friend who's in rehab right now and he's in a really hardcore rehab and they don't allow cigarettes. Really? And, yeah. They, they're hardcore. Like they're really hardcore. They don't even allow yeah. uh, outside literature. Like if it's not 12 step approved literature, they don't allow it. Wow. And sometimes I think, man, it must be really difficult for those people that work in that rehab. But for the people who are there, it might be very beneficial because yeah. When you take away the nicotine, because when I was in rehab, I just played ping pong and smoked all day. I'm not. <laughs> There's you know. nothing else to do. Drink coffee, play ping pong, smoke, maybe run, run a couple laps. I think it was running laps yeah. and smoking cigarettes at the same time. Right. What else are you going to do? You know, and so I, but I did get an edge. I mean, I do. I love rehabs because the thing about rehab is you get an education about addiction that sure. you don't necessarily get in 12 step rooms. And so that can be very helpful to understand addiction a little more and just to have it and to have a break, you know? Yeah. So if people can afford, or they have medical insurance or whatever, man, go into rehab. I think if they really want it, they want to stay clean. They're not doing yep. it for another reason. Gives them a big step up, gives them a big advantage yeah. to um, having success. Cause there's a lot of people who go to the 12 step rooms who want to get clean and don't make it, yep. it, you know, there's a lot of people that go to rehab who don't want to get clean and they don't have any chance because they don't want to get clean in the first place. But if you want to get clean and you can go to rehab, why not? Right? Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got a safety, you know? Yep. Well, and that was, that was the big thing for me Go, you know, getting out of my environment for 30 days and being able to kind of re rewire some things in my brain. But what's funny is, is the, the rehab, it was, man, just like you said, that's a great point too. the education, my family's education. My wife got to come in and do, you know, group therapy. And in that 30 day period, man, I soaked up as much stuff as I could, but that was kind of the easy part. It was going home afterwards and trying to integrate back into my life, like going back to work, trying to be, you know, a dad, you know, trying to be a husband, like trying to, trying to find out who the hell I was after all that. Man, that was that was the tough part, and that's I think where, um, you know, where the where the the program comes in, the fellowship um, groups. That's why I started the podcast. Really, I mean, that was like one of my accountability pieces because just like you, I, I love what you said earlier—the creation part. I want to create. I want to create things. This happen. I want to stay sober. I want to. Uh, oh, did we freeze up there? Yeah, I think we did. Are you back now? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. It, it froze up real quick, but anyways, man, I'm, I'm yapping, but, uh, th this, this was great, dude. I always love, um, you know, connecting and, and chatting a little bit. Anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we wrap this thing up and then we'll talk about this book giveaway, how, how exactly we're going to do that too. Oh, uh, no, I just, I, I hope people will read the book and enjoy it. And, um, I think this one has something in it for everyone. We talked a lot about, we, we talked a lot of male stuff today, <laughs> but the <laughs> reality is that most of my readers are female and there's a lot in this book about um, 
relationships that we didn't even touch on. And obviously that's a big issue. Like you said, when you get out and you're sober, now you got to live with family and, and deal with dating yeah. and love. And that's a lot of this book. Yeah. And it's, and, um, and so I hope people enjoy that part too, because there's more to recovery than just stopping using. It's absolutely awesome. just a tiny little piece, you know, it is, it's, it's such a small part of it and it's actually just living life, man, on, on life's terms. So go ahead. And the other, and the other thing I wanted to say is that a big part of this, you know, the, there's a big part of this book, the title of the book, which is Paul's graph is a legal, mm-hmm. is a legal case. And, and I'll let you people read and figure out why that's it. But there's this thing, you know, there's a saying, it is done unto you as you believe it to be true. And, you know, uh, that's from the Bible. And it's, it's the, a spiritual, uh, the foundation piece of a, of a spiritual journey that I went yeah. on. And so there's a lot of people out there that you hear in the rooms who are talking about, you know, it doesn't matter. A higher power doesn't matter. And a doorknob will do. And I don't think that's true after a certain amount of time. Yeah. You may find God in, in one church or another, or you may find God in something that has nothing to do with church. And this is a story of my particular um, spiritual journey in that regard of finding a God that was something other than a doorknob or, yeah. or uh, you know, the air or whatever, something, something that was more, but something that I could also believe in. Because I think it's important, whatever your God is, that you be able to really buy into it 100 percent you know you got to really believe in it there's no use of having a god that you don't really believe in Mm, it's good bro that's really good thanks you thanks for sharing that too that was yeah that's great um all right so let's uh let's 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 talk about real quick this uh you got it joseph has a couple of books to give away straight pepper diet um we were thinking what i was thinking i was actually going to give away the Paul's graph revelation. Oh, nice. Okay. My, my fault. Yeah, I thought you were one. saying straight pepper dice. So you're going to give away the new one. Oh, that's even awesome. Okay, cool. So what yeah. are we going to do? How are we going to do that? Joseph? Uh, you were going to, uh, I guess the Which, first three people to, uh, tag me in your post. Yeah. Okay. So, so here, so here's what we'll do. So I will, we'll post this. We'll post the episode on Instagram, um, at real, that sober guy, uh, the day that it comes out on, on the Friday, Okay, I'll post it on there, uh, and then tag Joseph one more time. Joseph, your uh, Instagram handle uh, at Joseph W Naus N A U S. Okay, and then the first three people with a reference to what the straight pepper diet is, uh, will will uh, get information. You can DM me whatever uh, your address, and then I'll, I'll I'll forward those on to Joseph, and then we can send those books out to you. Does that sound good? Signed autograph make oh, sure to tell awesome. me who it is and i'll sign them to them and send them over that's awesome man I'm, I'm excited about that thank you for doing that too man that's really nice of you yeah yeah no problem so yeah, i'll we'll, put all, i'll put the links uh to social media accounts to the book make sure to check out joseph's book uh if you're not one of the three that uh, that jumps on the paul's graph revelation uh revelation i'll put the links in here so you can go on there and check it out also too i just re- uh, realized this it's episode 102 if you're interested in going back and, and listening to uh, Joseph's first uh, appearance on that sober guy, it's episode 102. I'll put the link in here too, uh, dude. Thank you so much, man. That was so fun. I can't wait to put this out, man. We we got to cover oh, cool. some fun stuff. So, uh, thank you again, man. Cool, cool. Keep golfing. <laughs> I will, man. Yeah, I don't know how much. I don't know how good I'll get, but we'll see, man. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Uh, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com and uh, connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy. Uh, 
right, let's see. Anything else? Thanks to Promises. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks to Clean Cause. Humans Music, transitionsdaily.org. Get yourself a daily AA email if you're interested in that. Love you guys. Peace, love, respect. If you're struggling out there, reach out to somebody. Keep your blood clean. Nobody